ministry of our church, things that are going on that are generated out of your passions. We don't want to be a church. There, there are models of churches that are top-down, which means everything that's done in the church is generated out of the pastor's office or the, the leaders of the church offices, and then they're sort of handed to you and said, now go and fill these requisite slots that we have to go help the poor or evangelize or build a house, and we need 12 volunteers to do that. What we want to do here in our mission is it says that we want to know Christ and be so impassioned by that knowledge that then we go out and we make him known. Now, there are, I don't know how many people there are here today, a few hundred of you. That means there are a few hundred different ways that we can go and make Christ known. Because each of you is uniquely gifted and uniquely called and empowered by God to go out and to do these things. Well, there's a few men in our church who got a passion in the last few years uh, to take the scriptures that say that when you go and you visit those who are in prison, Christ says, you're visiting me, you are caring for me, you are sharing the good news uh, with, uh, of my love to those who are in need. And so uh, we have several of those men who are here, and they're part of a ministry called the Kairos Prison Ministry. Uh, and so um, this morning, George Pippus is going to come and share just for a couple of minutes a little bit about his ministry with Kairos, Kairos and, uh, and how God's been using it powerfully and how maybe even other people could get involved. That wouldn't be a bad thing, would it? That would be, that would be, a, that would be an awesome thing. Um, I thought um, maybe I'd like to take you on a trip, and uh, an imaginary trip. Uh, and so if you, you might even want to close your eyes, and that way you can... Um, you can uh, maybe better imagine uh, this trip we're going on, and it'll also obscure some of my nervousness and feelings. Um, uh, since I don't have a podium, to <laughs> a pulpit, that's <laughs> all right. We don't need to bring that back. Um, so here's the trip. We're driving north on I-95, and we're going to leave the freeway at exit 22. There's a stop sign at the end of the exit. Now we're crossing the road that runs parallel to the freeway and driving down a long, narrow, winding road toward a series of gray buildings that have vertical windows. A high fence covered with razor wire surrounds the buildings. This is the Ridgeland Correctional Institution a medium security prison, and this is where a group of men goes to share the story of God's love and forgiveness. This group of men uses a program developed by Kairos International. The program is structured to help ensure that God's word is not diluted, that his truths are presented according to scripture rather than the individual views of individuals. The starting point for the Kairos program is a four-day weekend. On the first afternoon, Kairos volunteers are introduced to two, perhaps three dozen inmates who have applied and are selected for the program. The first day is a get-to-know-you day. Inmates and volunteers sit in a circle in an area that's curtained off in a gymnasium. And on the first day... Most of the inmates are quiet and guarded. 
And, that, and by that I mean, well, there are security guards there, but they're also guarded in what they say, what they're willing to reveal. However, as the weekend unfolds, as God's story of love and forgiveness is told and demonstrated, a transformation begins to occur. And uh, walls begin to come down. Participation increases in small groups. And testimonies from the inmates reveal pain and weakness and broken lives. Now, apart from the story of love and forgiveness, God gives other things to enable the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of the inmates. Cookies. Cookies are provided to the inmates at the discussion tables. And on Friday and Saturday afternoon, volunteers go into the cells of all the four, well, really five dormitories at the Ridgeland Correctional Institution and delivers um, cookies and uh, a God bless you to um, the inmates. Homemade meals. Uh, Meals are provided to inmates, of course, but to these inmates, there's nothing like a home-cooked meal um, to satisfy a longing that they have. Uh, Placemats. On Sunday evening uh, at our children's church, um, our, uh, a group of kids made placemats, and those placemats were joined with placemats developed from other uh, churches to uh, put under the meals. And uh, there's nothing like uh, seeing the expressions of an inmate who looks down at a very simple drawing that says, Jesus still loves you, and uh, there's a name of a child. Um, uh, prayer. Uh, many of you joined our prayer chain. And, um, and so many prayers, tens of hundreds of prayers, were raised from around the nation. Prayers for the inmates, their volunteers, and the families. And God answers those prayers. And then there are letters provided to the inmates on uh, Saturday afternoon, about three days into the program. Uh, They're given time to open these mailbags. Most inmates don't receive any mail at all or have any contact with their families. Um, You know, it's interesting how God can work through the letters penned by his people. Um, On Thursday afternoon, a large athletic man stood up um, and introduced himself on, you know, during that period of introductions. And he, co- he confessed that he was there out of curiosity, that um, he was a Muslim. And, um, but he said, I'm curious about this Christian faith. And um, he got up again during a time when prisoners could share kind of an open mic time on Saturday afternoon. And he started by reading this letter. Um, dear, dear brother in Christ, these are excerpts, not the whole letter. Do you like good news? You and I have some good news that will never fade away. This is the gospel. 
We were created good by an awesome God, but we chose sin and we deserve punishment. But God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in his place. If you are a child of God, you already have victory over sin and death. You can be confident and joyful. Nothing can ever take you out of God's hand. No one can ever take away your salvation. I will pray for you every day. I will pray that you find joy in the Lord. I will pray you never leave him, for he will never leave you. Um, The inmate, again, professed his Muslim faith. But he said, something has happened in me this weekend, and uh, it um, it will never be the same. Again, um, I, want to, I want to close by thanking everyone who's participated in cookie baking and prayers and preparing meals and writing letters. Um, I'd like to encourage you to pray, continue to pray for this ministry and be alert if you hear God's call to join this ministry in some way. I especially want to invite the men of our church to consider joining the Kairos ministry. Our next walk at Ridgeland is in April, and preparation and training will begin in February. Almost 500 inmates applied for last October's walk, and only 24 were selected because we didn't have a sufficient number of volunteers. Wouldn't it be great to gather workers for the harvest for God's kingdom? I want to point out uh, that our own Ken Crovo, who's sitting just in the third row here on the end of the aisle, uh, is the weekend leader for the Kairos program in April. And uh, he's hard at work on that. Ken and I and Lim Clymer, who is kind of the patriarch of... uh, the Kairos ministry in our church would be happy to tell you more about how you can join. Praise God for his work. You know, last time I, I checked, can you were a banker, right? You worked for Ford, correct? Then where are you? Holiday Inn, right? No formal theological training. Not pastors, but ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the scripture says of all of us in the church, who are the ministers of the church? It's not me. It's all of us, empowered by God to go and do that. And so uh, I encourage you, thank these men for their ministry. Some of you, that landed on your heart in an odd way, because you have a hard time believing that those men who are in there, doing their, they're getting what they deserve. Why should we go and be sympathetic and caring? about them for the horrible things that they did because we haven't been held into account for what we've done. We've received incredible mercy. Christ received our justice. We didn't. So when you say, I want justice in this world, be careful what you're asking for. Really, God will make all things right and he will recompense all evil in the world. But in the meantime, we have the privilege to bear 
the mercy and grace of Christ to those who are in need. And what, and I don't mean this flippantly, a truly captive audience. 500 men didn't want to come and hear about Jesus. 500 men wanted to get out of their cells and go and have some home-cooked meals and go and have a good time. And guess what they were going to find? They got a whole lot more than they bargained for because the king of the universe was there and wanted to engage their hearts. So I, I hope that you'll get involved in this ministry and other ministries. If there's something that you're passionate about, let's go. Let's see what we can do as a church to mobilize you to go into the world and to do those things. Now let's go to the Lord and ask his, time, ask his blessing uh, on this ministry and other things going on. Uh, and then open his word briefly together today. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. That you didn't sit up in heaven and simply say, well, they don't deserve my love. You acknowledge that we don't deserve your love, but yet you still sent your son to the undeserving. And you poured out the fullness of your wrath and justice in that cup on him. And he drank it fully at the cross. And so that all those who are called by your name, who are called according to your purpose... Father, all of those receive nothing but grace and mercy from your hand. And we look to one standing with wounds on his body, glorified now before you, who was crushed for our iniquity, who was beaten for our sin, who died for us. So, Father, in light of that reality, would we go out into this world and comfort those who mourn, Would we go out into this world and bear the good news of those who desperately need it, who are caught in uh, the trappings of sin and the fall, who are lost and don't even know it, who are walking in darkness and don't recognize it? Would we go out and shine the light of Christ in our homes, in our communities, through our schools, on our organizations and teams? Would we do, Lord, the work of the gospel for your kingdom's sake and by your power? Use this church profoundly, God, we pray. We don't want to just gather every week with some good music and some fun singing of kids and a feel-good time and go back out and do absolutely nothing. Father, it would be of, of no value. But would we come and gather and celebrate and be encouraged and refilled and healed from the wounds of a day and go out then energized, walking together with brothers and sisters in Christ into a world that desperately needs to know that it's more than a tree and ornaments and gifts, but it's about a savior, a conqueror, a champion who came and offers to us ultimate victory in his name. Father, we praise you. And we thank you for that reality. In Christ's name, amen. I must admit that I have wrestled since Friday and the events of the day with what to say and how to say it. So as a backdrop with that, There are a lot of questions stirring in our own minds and our hearts. There are profound questions within our country and in our world uh, about how do we take an event of such profound evil and filter it and understand it as believers 
who believe in a God who controls all things and that there's nothing outside of his control, a God who is good and is not the author of evil, a God who has sent his son into the world to redeem the world and have victory over sin and that we, we have victory in him and that the evil one, Satan, is defeated and has been cast down and no longer wins the battle and that he's going to come back again one day, how do we take all of these things that we believe to be true and know to be true, how do we take them and wrestle them together with the events of a day that just break your heart and continue to? How do you say to your own heart, much less to the life of a person who was directly affected by that atrocity or any other atrocity, that God is good, that God is on his throne, And that everything that happens is for his glory and for the good of his children. How do we bring that together? And then how do we bring it together within the context of a series talking about the the victor Christ who entered into the world and defeated the ultimate evil in Satan. And we've been looking at Revelation 12 and all the imagery uh, of that, that story of how Christmas time wasn't a time of quiet platitudes. And it wasn't a season, at least in the cosmic sense, historically, of one that brought just warm fuzzies. But it was an event that stirred up the kingdom of evil in, no, in the greatest way possible. For it basically got the armies of evil, to rally. They had now a rallying point. It wasn't just in defiance of God any longer, but now it was in full defiance of God to try to fully thwart, to fully disregard, to fully stop his plan of sending into the world Messiah, the victor, and so we've talked about these imageries in, in Revelation chapter 12 that, uh, that the players were there. We said that there was the woman that was the church, that was Israel. And through her was going to come the birth of Messiah, the one who was going to have ultimate victory. And that evil uh, portrayed as the red dragon, Satan himself, didn't like that and knew that it was coming. And so he did everything in his power historically to destroy the work of God through the Old Testament and through the church, hoping that if he could destroy God's people and destroy God's plan, that then, if he could do that, then Messiah wouldn't come and he would ultimately win. But we saw that Messiah did come. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, his coming, and that he was born. And the imagery of Revelation 12 is though that the evil one, that the Satan was going to come after the child that was born. And so he was taken away by God into a safe place. And it was that picture of basically that Christ came and defeated Satan at the cross. And that he was killed and died and, and suffered death and was buried and was in the place of the dead in that sense. But God took him. And protected him and raised him from the dead on the third day and seated him above authority, all authority and all names that he's at the right hand of the father, safe from that. And so the evil one looked around and said, well, shoot, I can't get him anymore. I've got to, I've got to come up with another strategy. And the strategy is this, though I'm defeated and it says in, in Revelation 12 that his days are short and he knows that they're short. He says, in those short days that I have, I will wreak havoc on the children of God. I will do everything in my power 
that I still have, though I've been cast out of heaven, though I no longer have a place there, though I no longer have a voice in front of God, that I'm cast out, that I will wreak havoc in creation. And so we live in this tempestuous time, a time of the already, the victory already sealed, and the not yet, that our victor Christ will return again one day and will make all things new and evil will ultimately fully be destroyed, no longer to be dealt with anymore. And so we live, as some would call it, in this age or this day of tension of the already and the not yet. And we find in there that there are battles going on, that there are struggles in which we find ourselves, that evil is still perpetrated in the world today, and we wrestle with it. The events, not, the events of this week in America are horrible, but they're not unique, by the way. Go speak to a Syrian mother whose child was killed. Go speak to someone in China whose father was imprisoned. Go speak to someone in Japan where a tsunami comes and earthquakes rattle and roll and lives were taken. Go anywhere, devastation happens. Evil still is here. The fall still has its effect in the world. So our question today is, how do we deal with it? What do we do? And let me first say this. This is going to be rather brief today. But what it won't be filled with are platitudes or simple answers. There aren't simple answers. There are never simple answers to evil in the world. So with that and the depth of our need, what we have to do is go running back to a God and to his word and trust and believe that in here is contained the only hope that we find. And here is contained something that trumps governments and legislations and laws. For we can regulate many, many things in the world, but we cannot regulate the condition of the human heart. I can demand of my sons to do certain things and I can make and I can modify their behavior, but I cannot touch the condition of their heart with my laws and my rules. And so we have to know that there's something greater than that that can affect the condition of the human heart. That there is a hope that transcends governments and a hope that transcends rules and a hope that transcends human nature. And the beauty of what we celebrate at Christmas is that Christ came in the world to do one thing and one thing only. And that is to radically transform the condition of the human heart. That he came into the world to battle against your greatest enemy. He came into the world to fight on your behalf. He stands now to come and to redeem your heart. You know, we look and we say, God, how, how do we balance all of this? I'm going to give you a great theological phrase and an incredibly good answer to give to some profound answers. You want to know what it is? I don't. No. I don't know. 
I don't know how to balance all of these things, but there are a few things that I do know. And what the best way for us as Christians and for a church to engage our own hearts and the hearts of those around us and a world around us that has profound questions, and not just because of the events of Friday, but profound questions nonetheless uh, about what is this all about? What's the meaning of it all? Why am I here? What is really truth? What we can say is, I don't understand and fully know how to engage that particular issue that you're facing, but I do know certain things to be true. And here are some of those things. Christ has won the victory. As we look in Revelation chapter 12, it says that he is victorious, that he has one. And part of his kingdom coming is that there will be a day and an age when there are no more tears, when there's no more suffering, when there's no more cancer, when there are no more funerals, when there's no more sadness. That he is ushering in a kingdom that comes one day and brings with it those things. And that it is coming. And we know that in Christ, we who are in him are more than conquerors, that we have been freed from from sin and death, that he has overcome our greatest enemy, that even if we experience, and in chapter 12, and I know I'm not referencing it directly today, but indirectly, if we look in there, it speaks of martyrs, it speaks of those who stood for Christ and yet lost their lives. We have a book in our home, it's a daily meditation and reading from church history, And in it, you see some of the incredible sufferings that happened for believers standing for their faith and suffering that happens. And you go, how is it a believer and suffering? How is it God is good and suffering is in the world? And the answer is, I don't know fully, nor can I fully explain it to you. But I will tell you this. You can search and you can wrestle with philosophies. You can search and wrestle with political wranglings. You can search and wrestle with other religions, but you will never come back to find any satisfaction to your soul and to your answers until you wrestle with the true God. What events of this week invite us to do more than anything else is go hopefully running back to God. And at some level saying to him, and it's okay, I want to give you some freedom, and I don't mean to be irreverent, and I hope that I don't offend you, but I hope that you'll be able to say to our God, who is also our Father, who is ultimate and over all things, almighty in his power and seated in in his throne, and that our knees should knock at some level in entering into his presence, but at the same time, this incredible God is our Father. And so we enter in with great confidence into his throne room where we can go and pray to him, speak directly to him. We can speak in language like this. You do know that your prayer language doesn't have to be your, the language of your prayers. It does not have to be King James, by the way. You know that, right? It doesn't have to be these and thous and shalls and chants. How do you talk to one another? Speak to God similarly. Go to him and go, God, I believe these things to be true and I hold them and I'm basing my life upon these things. But God, I don't get you. 
God, I don't fully understand you. And would you be gracious enough to show me a little bit more of your heart? And would you let me understand a little bit more of who you are? And help me to hold firm to my faith that is being stretched right now. Is that an honest prayer? Have any of you all wanted to pray that way? I I know I have. But some of us feel irreverent and we don't think that we should. How can we question God? I don't believe at that moment you're questioning God. I believe at that moment you're coming with profound questions of a child to a father who knows more than you do. Who sees the end before the beginning. And can say to you, evil in the world yeah it's real and we will wrestle with it the response of the Christian community to that evil very simple weep with those who weep mourn with those who mourn for those who are persecuted will be comforted those who grieve will be comforted But would we not give simplistic answers, but point ultimately to the one who can heal our deepest wounds? The one who can give us something that transcends this world and says, you will have struggle in this world, tribulation and trial and death and suffering in this world, you will have, but I've overcome the world. And that if we see the beauty and the glory of the kingdom that God gives us, then the atrocities and the difficulties and the sufferings of this world, as Paul said, I count them all as loss for the immeasurable greatness of what I have gained in Christ Jesus. So my encouragement to my own heart today and to you today is to look to the victor and to what he offers. For unless we see his kingdom as immeasurably good, and worthy, we get lost in this world. Unless it so far outweighs and trumps this world, we can't make sense of this world. I want to read a prayer, if I could, this morning. And I loved how Scotty Smith, who used to be the pastor at Christ Community Church in Franklin, Tennessee, I love how he writes Scotty wrote these words, and he wrote these on Friday. He said, Dear Lord Jesus, we abandon ourselves to you tonight. We come running with our tears and our fears, our anguish and our anger, our lament and our longings. We collapse in your presence with the assurance of your welcome, needing the mercies of your heart. Some stories are just too much for us to absorb, some evil just too great to conceive, some losses beyond all measurability. We need your tears and your strength tonight that you wept outside the tomb of a beloved friend frees us to groan and mourn, that you conquered his death with yours frees us to hope and to wait. But we turn our thoughts from ourselves to the families who have suffered an unconscionable violation of heart and all sensibilities. Bring your presence to bear, Lord Jesus, by your spirit and through your people. May your servants weep with those who weep and wail with those who wail. Extend your tear-wiping hand. Reach into this great tragedy with an even greater grace. We cry out on behalf of the children of Newtown, 
those most directly affected by this evil, and for children throughout our country and the world whose little hearts are reeling with fear and evil, give parents wisdom and kindness as they seek to love their children well this night and in the coming days. Raise up gifted counselors and caregivers to serve those most traumatized. Lastly, Lord Jesus, we cry out with a loud voice, how long? How long, O Lord? How long before you return to eradicate all evil, redeem all tragedies, and make all things new? How long, O Lord, how long? Your bride weeps and waits for you. In your merciful and mighty name, we pray. What a great prayer of a man who knows his father. And as we celebrate the first coming of our Savior, would we always say with those saints of old, Maranatha, which means, Lord, come quickly. And would he come? And in the meantime, even as we wrestle with the already and the not yet, would we be bearers of good news? That there is hope even in the midst of darkness. There is light shining out. There is a voice calling in the wilderness. There is one who says to us today, I'm your champion. I have won the victory. Believe in me. Believe in me. And find new life. Let's pray. Father, we come and we, we do wrestle with these things. We come and we, we praise you that you have won the victory, but even now, we want to see ultimate victory. Lord, give us patience in this time. Give us strength and fortitude of faith. And Father, give us tender and broken hearts that we would be able to go out into the world and be comforters to those who need it. That we would be light. That we would speak freedom to prisoners. That we would speak grace to those under the law. Father, that we would be healing to those who are dying. Father, that we would be your hands and feet in the world today, empowered by your spirit to go out, standing upon that which we know to be true, and that is your word. And Father, would you bless our efforts, not for our sake, but for your kingdom's sake, for your name's sake, that many might come to know you. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.